Uh, well, uh, good evening. Uh, it's good to see you all. Um, as has been mentioned, we'll be studying or going through Psalm 1 together uh, this evening, and I've split it into three sections for us. So we'll first consider uh, in our first section uh, the direction, uh, the contrast of direction, uh, then in our second section the contrast of depiction, and then third in our final section, the contrast of destination. And I've kind of titled this as a psalm of contrasts. So I think as we go through the psalm, we do see there are two ways uh, to life. Um, And so we'll begin then by reading uh, from Psalm 1, and then we will progress through it. So reading from Psalm 1 and verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Um, it is my uh, prayer this evening as we study Psalm 1 that we would go away from here uh, not only challenged but hopefully encouraged by what this, I think, beautiful Psalm ha- has to teach us. Uh, and so we shall begin uh, in our first section, that of the contrast of direction in verses 1 and 2. And in reading the Psalm, I think uh, we have here clearly presented our two representatives uh, we've got the two ways, or in, in our first instance, the two directions uh, of Psalm 1. Uh, we've got the man who is blessed, um, i.e. under God's favor, uh, and the wicked. And as we move through, as I've said earlier, these, these two ways, these two paths will be unfolded before us. Uh, and we'll see not only their direction, but their depiction, and ultimately their destination um, in the end. However, first we're presented with the directions. And in the verse two verses here, they're framed from the perspective of the blessed man. You see, we have three negative aspects in verse one that the blessed man uh, does not do, that the wicked uh, do do, uh, and two positive aspects uh, in verse two of which the blessed man does do or take part in that the wicked um, would not. Um, and, uh, and so as we move through these uh, positive and uh, and negative aspects, I want us to consider and contrast the the directions and ask ourselves the question, who do we look most like? What is our direction? So the blessed man is one, someone who does not walk in the counts of the wicked, nor two, stand in the way of sinners, nor three, sit in the seat of scoffers. These are our three negative uh, aspects, things he does not do. Uh, and we'll consider each one in turn and, and, ask, and see how they might take their shapes in our lives today. So, number one, the blessed man is someone who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, counsel or advice is something we would receive every day. Um, whether it be from friends or family or professional strangers, whoever, we receive advice uh, from many angles and in many different forms. Uh, and much of that advice is probably unwanted. Unwanted. Some of it might be wanted, but I, I wager a lot of it might not be. Uh, and of course, also, advice ranges in significance, from the very insignificant to the very significant. You know, life-changing, life-saving sometimes. Um, 
But as with all counsel, with all advice, there comes before us a choice. Do we listen to it or do we ignore it? Is the counsel good or is the counsel bad or or wicked? See, the blessed man is someone who does not walk in, does not heed, does not listen to wicked counsel. And I think this, to some degree, does sound easy enough. I mean, we, we know what bad and good are, don't we? I mean, if someone tells you to steal a Mars bar, you wouldn't do it. It's wicked counsel. Easy enough. Or if someone says, uh, go jump off that cliff. Again, hopefully we understand that is bad or wicked counsel. We would ignore it. We wouldn't heed it. But that's not always how counsel presents itself to us. It's not always so simple. Um, in, in John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Christian, the protagonist of the story, is on his way from uh, the city of destruction to the celestial city. And he's on a journey. And it's a picture of the Christian's life. And he meets many different kinds of characters, many different people. Some offer him advice, and some of that is good, and some of it is bad. Uh, and one such person I want to point out is a man called uh, Mr. Worldly Wiseman. And he appears to Christian as someone who really cares for Christian struggles and hardships. Um, he's apparently a religious, aged, wise man who offers Christian advice. Uh, and he tells him that the way he's currently on is, is no good. He should turn and go this direction, for it is, uh, quote, better, easier, safer. Mr. Worldly Wise Man's advice, Christian heeds, but it's to his detriment, and he soon realizes what a terrible mistake he's made. Um, see, this is the problem we have, is that counsel can appear good. It can appear attractive, wicked counsel, that is. It can appear better, easier, safer, um, but it's not. Uh, it's, a, it's a struggle to figure out what good counsel is sometimes, and especially in the age of the internet, when we have so much advice, so much counsel available to us on basically every area of life, deciding which of it to listen to and which of it to ignore is a difficult one. Um, and furthermore, this is even more compounded by the fact that we tend to only listen to advice we want to hear, as opposed to that advice we might need to hear. And so the not walking in the counsel of the wicked might be a struggle, and it's a struggle I find I suffer from. Um, I know how hard it is to listen to advice I don't want to hear, uh, advice maybe I should listen to, and often it's the good advice. And the remedy, of course, then to bad advice, uh, to wicked counsel, is good counsel. And that counsel is only, the only true counsel is only found in our Bibles, the Word of God. Uh, however, I am jumping ahead slightly, and we will cover that in more detail when we get to verse 2. For now, that's the first negative aspect of the blessed man's direction, what he doesn't do. Two, then we have that he is someone who doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Uh, now, in English, when we would say or use the phrase stand in the way of, it's often uh, in, the, in the case of impeding or stopping someone's progress. But obviously, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, it's this idea of not taking part in or, or not joining in with uh, that way, that something. They're not placing uh, themselves, or not, the blessed man doesn't place himself in the way of sinners, in their conduct, in the way that they live their life. Um, and so in some aspects you could say then that the blessed man is someone who doesn't sin, or doesn't commit sins. Uh, however, I, I think it goes a bit deeper than that. Uh, I think it's not only that he doesn't sin, but neither does he place himself, stand, or put himself in the way, the paths of sin entirely. It's that when temptation comes knocking at the door, 
uh, not only does he not answer, but he draws the bolt, uh, closes, the, closes the windows, uh, and then closes the curtains also. He, he has nothing to do with sin. He does not even step one foot in that direction. Um, I think there's a passage in Proverbs, in our first chapter of Proverbs, that kind of highlights this a bit. It's in Proverbs 1, um, verse 15. It says, My son, do not walk in the way with them, that is, sinners. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. The blessed man doesn't even have one foot uh, standing or in the way of sinners. He's completely avoid of it. He, 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 he rather stands in opposition. Um, so it's not just that he's not sinning, but he doesn't put him play, himself in places where he might sin or feel tempted to do so. He doesn't even open the door. Um, and so that's our, our second uh, negative aspect. You know, what, who, Whose counsel are we walking in uh, and whose way are we standing? And then thirdly, um, we have that the blessed man does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, scoffing is, I don't think, a word we use often, but it carries with it this idea of mockery or cynicism towards or um, uh, scorn uh, or rejection, really, uh, of something. And, of course, in this case, it's scoffing specifically of God and his wisdom, his teaching. Um, and so here, the blessed man does not sit in the seat of scoffers. It's, I think, one, that he doesn't scoff, obviously, I think, but I think there's more, again, here. It's, it's that he's not even comfortable with it on its hearing or, or being near it. He doesn't like it. He, he finds no pleasure there, and he'd rather sit anywhere else. Um, and I think the question, well, do we, do we scoff uh, against? Do we, do, are we scoffers sometimes? Do we ever scoff at God and his teaching? Do we ever, for example, suggest that we know better. We, do we read uh, God's word, his teaching, and think, I'd rather do it this way. I think I have a better understanding. I think that may be in some ways a form of scoffing, of uh, being cynical towards God and his wisdom. Um, uh, and furthermore, uh, what about when we're in conversation with our friends and they take the name of the Lord in vain? How do we react to that? Does do we feel comfortable with that? Are we complacent? Um, I'm not saying we don't talk to uh, non-Christians at all, or people who aren't Christians, but asking ourselves, well, how do we feel about it? Where do we sit? Um, in whose seat do we sit down? In? And I think furthermore, in the things that we consume that are outrightly mocking and being scornful of God and his wisdom, are we okay with that? Do we just sit? Do we, are we complacent? Um, and so those are the three negative aspects, things uh, I think are hopefully uh, somewhat of a challenge. They have been to me, um, but they speak to this blessed man's direction, uh, his conduct, his, his habits. You know, It's the counsel he heeds, the way he stands in, uh, the sits that he's comfortable sitting down in. Yet, verse 1 continues into verse 2, and verse 2 begins with but... Uh, and I think that's important, and we'll come to see that. You see, in contrast to the three negative aspects, we have two positive aspects, the contrast. Um, and if you recall to the first negative aspect, I mentioned that uh, verse 2 contained the remedy there. And it contains, indeed, the remedy to all uh, of verse, verse 1. And so we'll proceed then to our two positive aspects of the blessed man's direction and consider them in more detail. Um, and so of the blessed man, it says that uh, his delight, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates 
day and night. So here we have our two positive aspects. One, he delights in the law of the Lord. Uh, and, and I think that also, you know, the law is God's teaching, uh, God's word. Um, I think we can expand it to those meanings also. And so he delights in his word and on it he meditates. Day and night, the psalm says. Um, and so something immediately then to be noticed, I think, is that in contrast to what we have in verse 1, what we don't have then is a direct comparison of verse 1 and verse 2. You see, it's not three equivalent things that he does do instead, um, but rather it's, uh, it's a direction or a, uh, yeah, a direction of his heart and mind. It's, it's not uh, what he does, it's not a list of laws, but his direction about the law. Um, it's a direction of his heart. It's, it's deeper than just a list of do's and don'ts. Um, if you recall about Mr. Worldly Wiseman, I, I mentioned how he pointed Christian off the path away from uh, the way he was headed, away from the celestial city, a picture of heaven. Um, the way he pointed him was towards a place where a man, Mr. Legality, lived. You see, the problem for us is that we could read verse 1 and make it uh, make, make out of it uh, legalism. We could, uh, that is the danger we could fall in. We could do these things in verse 1, or not do these things in verse 1, uh, have that outward direction of the blessed man, but really internally nothing's changed. Our hearts remain unchanged. Our hearts still don't delight. We still don't meditate in the law. Um, you know, we could become a Pharisee, and uh, it's, it's uh, 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 something to be careful of. Um, you see, the blessed man is defined by his direction of heart and mind towards the law. If you see that, you see, it says his delight, this is his heart, and is in the law, and he meditates, his mind is on the law, the word of God. You see, where, where this man finds his pleasure, his joy, his true fulfilling joy, is in the word of God. He delights in it. Um, it's not a burden, it's not a hindrance, it's not something that he, he must read or follow, but something he wants to do, something he delights in. And the question then for us is, well, how often do we delight in the law of our God? Has it become a burden? Is it a hindrance? Is it a nuisance to us? Um, or can we join the psalmist in Psalm 119 in verse 127 and say that, uh, I love uh, your com- therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Now, if I had the time, uh, which I definitely don't, I would read all of 100, Psalm 119 for us because it so beautifully unpacks these ideas in verse 2. But I think I need to move on swiftly. So, furthermore, as a point, the delighting uh, that this man has, this love for the Lord and his commandments, is not something that is mustered up inside himself. I think that has to be uh, pointed out. Um, it's not that he just wills himself to love or delight more. I think it's in by looking to God, it's by meditating on the, the law, on, on the words, that he then can delight more. There's, I think there's a circularity to it. Um, but also then for us as Christians here today, we look to Christ. We see what God has done. And then for them, in the, for people in the Old Testament, they look to God and his promises and all that he's achieved for them. And then they can delight in what he in, in the teaching and the law. They look to how God has acted towards them, the love that he has shown towards them. And so then, because of that, a new direction is impressed upon them. It's almost a natural outflowing of, of, of seeing that in God, of seeing, for us at least, Christ on the cross. Uh, and I think Romans 12 and verse 1 just 
kind of highlights that quite well or, 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 or speaks to that very well. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, the things that he has done for these people or for us, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship or your rational service. Seeing what God has done for you by his mercies, therefore, present your lives to him, delight in him, live for him. There is, I think, that to be noted, that it isn't just a a willing, a a mustering up of some kind of uh, delight in in and of of himself. It's it's looking to a person. Um, And so because this blessed man delights in the Lord, he then meditates on the law, I think. Again, one flows into the other. His delight leads to meditation. Um, and it's not an emptying of the mind. Uh, you know, today we would say to meditate on something is to empty our minds, to, uh, you know, empty our minds of thoughts and feelings. But it, it's a filling. It's a pondering on, a study. It's intentional. It's active. Uh, and it's not just uh, a quick reading or listening. It's something that takes time. It's something that here it says in Psalm 1 verse 2 that he does day and night. Um, and so... I think this is our direction then of the blessed man, um, that he's defined by his direction of heart, his delight, and his direction of mind. Uh, And these things, I think, feed one into the other uh, as well. Um, But also, just as a a point, um, the meditation here is for all of us. Um, It's not just for the intellectual or the studious individual, but it's like getting to know a person. Uh, We cannot treat it like an academic field. Uh, It's getting to know a person, the person of God. Um, We have in our hands the words of our creator, of our savior. Um, Do we study them? Do we meditate on the law of the Lord? And so, this is the direction of the blessed man, and in contrast, the wicked man. And I think we would find that as we would delight more and more in, in the word because we're meditating more and more, and then we would meditate more and more on his instruction, his, his teaching, that our, our, our minds and our, our hearts would be ever more directed towards him. Uh, and so then when we get to read verses 1, these things would come naturally. For by sitting or by walking more and more in the counts of the righteous, we'd be walking less and less in the counts of the wicked. By standing more and more in the way of the godly, less and less in the way of sinners. And by sitting more and more with his God and king, uh, be sitting less and less in the seat of the scornful or the scoffers. That is the blessed man's direction. And our challenge, and I think our question for us is, well, how do we weigh up? Where, where do we come? How do, how do we fit to that? Uh, however, having asked that question, having put that before us, I think still... For those of us who are Christians, you know, there are times in our life when things aren't going so well. And there are times in our life where things are going well. But the general direction of our life should be, I hope it should be, this blessed man's direction of verse 1 and 2. Generally speaking, it should be that we are progressing towards that way. And the reason I say this is because when we get to verse 3 and 4, I hope this is, I hope those verses are an encouragement for us. That we see the almost the outcome, the depiction of the life lived now, uh, we see that and, 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 and can know that that can be ours in Christ. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll move on and we'll discuss that and hopefully that will become more apparent. But I'm hoping that verse 3 and 4 is more of an encouragement for us as, as we consider it. Um, after considering the direction, then the depiction, what do these two directions look like, uh, knowing that really 
ultimately, our direction is of the blessed man. So we have the tree and the chaff. I'll read the verse, verses 3 and 4. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. So here we have our two depictions, our two images. It says the blessed man is like this tree. And in some ways, I think this image speaks for itself. However, we'll go into detail and maybe try and draw one or two things out from it, some attributes, and consider their implications for us. And we'll look at that first, then we'll come to the chaff. So, first, that he is planted by streams of water. In the NASB, it is rendered firmly planted. And I think that gets the idea quite well. That there is this idea of security, of of steadfastness, of assurance. Well, an assurance in the promises of God. He's firmly planted. And so when trials come, when the winds blow and the storms of life rage, he remains steadfast. He can, he's unmovable. Spiritually, he's secure. And, and furthermore, notice where this tree is planted. It's by streams of water. The life that the tree needs. Uh, if it didn't have water, the tree would dry up. But this tree has life and life in abundance. So this tree is secure and is full of life and spiritual life. Uh, of uh, One that lasts. And then also it is a, a, a tree that yields its fruit in its season. And I think here we have this idea of uh, fulfilling its purpose. For a tree's purpose, at least fruit tree's purpose, is to produce fruit. And for the blessed man, the man whose direction is towards God, whose heart and mind is towards God, they are fulfilling their purpose. They are producing fruit. I mean, how many uh, people in this day and age are looking for purpose, for fulfillment, The blessed man has it, and he's fulfilling it. Uh, And moreover, he's producing fruit in its season. I think you can draw lots of things out here, but I'm suggesting that this phrase in his season is this idea of God being in control. For it is God who causes the earth to spin, the sun to rise, and the seasons to come and go. But for this man, he lives under God's control, under God's time frame, and so producing fruit in his season, he knows the fruit will come. He knows that uh, what's going to come next because God's in control. He can have assurance in that. Um, so he's a, a life fulfilled, but also a life without worry because he can trust in his Lord, uh, his God. And so then, this is the blessed man's depiction. Uh, and uh, I think it's, uh, a beautiful picture, a one that we should all hopefully be uh, wanting to grasp. Uh, the, blessed, the man whose heart and mind is directed towards God is the one who truly po- prospers. You know, you look around the world today and it often seems to be that it's the wicked who are prospering. Um, but this psalm paints the picture for us clearly. It is the man whose life and whose heart and mind is directed towards God who truly prospers. It's spiritual prosperity. It's a one that lasts. It's a, it's a prosperity of the soul. Um, the tree doesn't bear golden apples, nor is it planted by streams of money. It's a tree bearing fruit that a tree would bear, and it is by streams of water. It is doing what it should. It is fulfilling its purpose, and it's a one that lasts for eternity. 
And I think a, a good picture or example of this uh, prosperity is one found in uh, Philippians in the person of Paul the Apostle. In writing to the church in Philippi, he, he, he talks of his joy. And remember, he's sitting in jail in this at the time of his writing. He's waiting to be executed, potentially. But yet he says how he is full of joy. And he encourages the Philippians to be joyful also. And furthermore than that, he talks about how he is content in all circumstances. You know, no matter if he's hungry or if he has abundance, he's content. And furthermore to that, he is able to say that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, to me, this, he sounds very much like this tree. He's unmovable, producing fruit, fulfilling his purpose, whose, whose leaf does not wither. I've missed out that. I just realized. Um, there, that speaks of, a, of, of someone who is not perishing, who has life and life to the full, in abundance. All life dies, but here, this tree, well, it lives and its leaf does not wither. I think Paul is a good picture of that. Um, and so then, for us as Christians, I think we should be encouraged to carry on, to persevere, to endure, to, to, to delight in our Lord, to meditate more. Because, look, this is, this is yours in Christ. You can be like this tree. You can have this spiritual security and prosperity. Um, it should be an encouragement for us, um, I hope. And then we have the chaff, the contrast, the other side of the coin. Uh, the wicked, it says, uh, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And this in every way contrasts our tree. No root, no fruit, no life. The chaff is the dead husk of what was once a flourishing plant of grain. It's left, it's no purpose. And this is the picture of the wicked, those who aren't in the direction towards God. And it's a dreadful one, um, but one worth thinking about. Um, for it is the picture of those who aren't in Christ. They're like chaff. And ultimately, the destination for chaff is to be burned. Um, it's a dreadful uh, picture, but one that is no less true. And so then I think we're then drawn on to our destination, our end, um, where this all leads, the consequences of it all. Uh, and, and there is ultimately only two, and our psalm makes that very clear. Verses 5 and 6, I'll read. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the, in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so here we are at the end of the matter. There are two destinations to our two ways. One, verse 5 says, that therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment. They will be condemned. Verse 6, their way is perishing. Are the, are the righteous, the blessed man, he shall be in that congregation with the righteous, and the Lord knows his way. He looks over him. The Lord, he is the Lord's. Um, so those are the two destinations uh, in, in summary. Um, and I think then, for us though, I think there does remain a, a problem in that, well, really for all of us, before we were Christians, and for those of us who aren't Christians, our direction was that of the perishing. Uh, we were like chaff. Um, you see, something to be noted here is that the blessed man, the true blessed man, in Psalm 1, is Christ. All of us, to some degree, fall short here. Um, but Christ fulfills it all perfectly. He is without blemish. He, 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 there is no wrong found in him. 
Uh, and he delighted perfectly in the law of his Lord, of his father, and he meditated on that law day and night. Uh, and if I've ever, if there's ever been a better picture of the tree, Christ is it. There's never been one, sorry. Christ is that picture of the tree. Uh, he, his leaf does not wither. I mean, he, he died and rose again. Um, Christ is the blessed man of Psalm 1. And I, uh, and I say all this because, well, it is by being in him that we can first then have that impressed new direction of heart. Um, you see, by looking to Christ, by seeing the sacrifice made once for all for our sin, and accepting that and trusting in that by repenting, turning, we may have a new direction, a one that's towards God, a one that can truly delight in him and meditate on his word because they delight in it. Um, this and then even more as as this becomes our direction as for those of us who are in christ again our direction then is towards uh, god and then our depiction then can be become more and more the depiction of our lives can be become more and more like the tree um, just as christ is the perfect picture of the tree by being in christ then we share in his blessings we share in everything that he is and that is then accounted to us we can become like this tree firm steadfast spiritually prospering fulfilling our purpose bearing fruit having leaf that never withers um that is ultimately i think the picture here or what's presented to us in psalm one that yes we have these contrasts these two ways and and i think as christians we ought to examine ourselves and consider well how are we doing and in what ways are we headed um but always to be looking to christ and seeing that uh, he is the true blessed man. By being in him, by, by, by trusting in him, can we have this new direction? And so that leads to the, to the delighting in verse 2. And then it leads to the meditation, which then leads to the picture in verse 3 of being the tree, which then ultimately leads to that secure destination in our final verses, uh, a destination of eternal life. Um, however... If there are those who are not Christians here, who do not know these things to be true in their own lives, the good news is that though you may be like chaff as this psalm paints the picture, you can become like this tree. Again, by also putting your trust, your faith in Christ, by turning and following him. And then by doing that, you shall have a new heart, the Bible says. A heart that wants to follow Christ, that wants to be pointed in that direction and then so a mind that too wants to join uh, and delight and meditate on our, in our God and on his words. You can be moved from the chaff to the tree. Have a new destination as well. From death to eternal life. Um, so that's Psalm 1. Uh, I think in, in some small part. Uh, I could say much more, but I think I've said enough. Uh, and this is our different directions, our two directions, our two depictions, and our two destinations. Uh, and hopefully that has been of some challenge and encouragement. Um, and if there is any questions or, or anything people would like to discuss with me, just come and ask me. I'd be more than happy to talk through those things. Um, but that is the Psalm 1, Psalm of Contrast. Um, and with that, I think we'll close in prayer and then we'll have a, a song just after, afterwards. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us in a language that we can read and we can understand, that we can know you 
and that we can delight in you, that we can meditate on your words. Lord, I pray that as we would go away, we would uh, want to delight in you, want to delight in your words, to meditate on it day and night, as the psalm says, so that we may also be like this tree that is planted by streams of water. And we thank you for Christ. It is in him that we can even have this delight, that we can have this new direction. And Lord, we pray that um, for those who do not know Christ, for those who do not know this way, this direction, who are, are headed towards a destination that is perishing, Lord, we pray that they might have this change of heart, that you would work in them and that they would turn and follow you. Uh, and so again, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for Psalm 1 and the truths that it has for us. Um, we give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.